Oh, sorry. Do you want to give it a read? Sure. Okay. Just to warm up the thing. Voice. <clears throat> the thing that makes you talk? Exactly. <laughs> Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we'll tackle your questions on Wi-Fi passwords, self-inviting guests, and whether or not you may decline them, what to do when you recognize someone as they're buying some personal items, how to ask for cash as a wedding gift, and a listener inquires as to why Dan worked on his honeymoon. We'll also hear from Dan in our Postscript segment with a reflection on the wedding what he may have done differently. All that and your etiquette salute coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Dude, you got some big stuff going on. I mean, not that your wedding wasn't big enough. Could your <laughs> life just calm down a little bit? I know. We need to just slow down. <laughs> Why don't you tell them what, you, what you've been doing this week? So this week I've been in and out of the office a little bit. It's why it's the, the hot topic of discussion on the podcast right now. But I'm in a dance piece that will be performed. Well, it's sort of like we're already performing because we're into dress rehearsals. You're doing dress and rehearsals. And the dress Full rehearsals on. are essentially runs of the show. Right. So the piece is a – it's an installation. It's been staged by choreographer Hannah Dennison. It's called Threads and Thresholds. Say okay. that ten times fast. <laughs> right. But it's a kind of fun. It's an installation piece in a historic building. Um, it's part of the Vermont Historic Society's oh, cool. suite of properties or whatever. Sure. Um, it was a tavern in the 1700s, uh, recently made historic landmark. Will there be drinking during the piece? No. Oh, I figured tavern theme. Maybe we'd run with it. Okay. But there's an old ballroom upstairs. And ballroom makes it sound bigger than it is because it's a farmhouse. It was an old tavern. But there's a room upstairs that's there's bigger. There's a ba- ballroom in this farmhouse. Welcome to Vermont, ladies and gentlemen. That used to be a sure. dance center. And it's at this. It's, it's like out in the country on this crossroads that used to be a major crossroads back in the day. But now you're in the middle of nowhere. Again, welcome to Vermont, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And they're installing dancers in this building. So in the old ballroom, there's some contemporary dance going on, but there's also been visual artists who've changed the whole look of the inside of the building. They've uh, turned it into a, an installation, a large artwork, and the people who are dancing it are part of it. I'm in one of the downstairs rooms. Okay. I'm doing a little duet with my old with Willa, friend, right? Willow Wonder. Yeah. And Wait, her name is Willow Wonder? Absolutely it her is. Her last name is Wonder? <laughs> yes. How do these people luck out with these awesome last names, man? Child of the West Coast in <laughs> the 70s. Willow Wonder. I love um, that. All right. Willow's one of so my first dance friends from Vermont. You and Willow Wonder are going to do a piece together. We do a little duet. We have about 15 minutes. The crowd, as they make their way through their series of guided tours through the building. Okay. So and each time a tour comes, you do your dance. Exactly. Oh. We're a little 10-minute duet that happens over a 15-minute window. Now, Pretty is early this in the your in the piece. Contact jam type dancing. Is there a lot of a lot of rolling and lifting and yes. that type of dance? We start off with a little gestural improv. Oh, we exchange cool. gestures and then that that uh, develops into a couple little solos and then we do a couple lifts. So what do you expect from an audience behaviorally? Let's bring it back to etiquette. What do yeah. you expect from an audience who's 
on a guided tour, moving along in that way. I mean, it's not like you're sitting and watching a performance. It does. It changes the expectation of the audience a little bit. It's one of the most fun things about the piece. Really? Oftentimes, I'm sitting to the audience as close as we're sitting now. Okay, which They're... is close, just so you know. We're in the whisper booth. <laughs> which is slightly larger than a closet. Yes. Um, the room is a little bit larger it's than this. It's a mini walk-in. But it's it's close proximity, and one of the things that's so much fun for me about the piece is, is I get to interact with audience members who aren't always sure what's expected. So there's a little bit of sometimes discomfort <laughs> from the audience. I'm reminded <laughs> of the time where... Um, Dear Dan asked Andrick and I to come to his, what was it, James Dean piece? Oh, uh, Miguel Gutierrez piece. I was asked to be a little But it was dancer. on, who was it celebrating? It was... It uh, was the, the theme was all about Jan, James, James Dean. James Dean, right. For sure, Rebel Without a Cause. Yes, and I do but believe completely that sitting deconstructed. in the front row <laughs> at the very end, I wound up with a half-naked man gyrating in front of me. Andrick and I were definitely like, okay, we did our due diligence on Dan's performances. Miguel's work can be piece. challenging, absolutely. It was definitely in your face well, by the end of and it. And he's known for that. He's yeah. a, a New York dance artist, Bessie Award winner, That's very highly thing. thought of. But his thing, yes, his yeah. thing is, is all, I wouldn't want to call it confrontational because it's not aggressive. Sure. But his idea is to present material that's going to test your boundaries, it felt test confrontational. your comfort levels. <laughs> I will definitely say I felt confronted <laughs> in that moment. I thought I handled myself pretty well. well and I but. give you such points for coming to your cousin's avant-garde dance performance. I know. To be fair, all the rest of the performances have been much more... Big stage pieces. I would say tame in comparison to Absolutely. a lot more... Part of the Lake Champlain bicentennial celebration. Yeah, very or... different. So I'll have to come to another one soon. Well, this one is fun. It's, it's visually stunning. Um, cool. It's it's about a 90-minute progression through the building. Like okay. I say, my piece is only about 15 minutes of it. But, um, but the larger look and feel of the piece I think is quite good. It's, cool. it's a work that I'm happy about. I'll definitely put up some pictures. Nice. Um, we'll throw them up on the Facebook and, and I'll put up the some Facebook. links on social media so everyone nice. out there can get a look at what we're talking about. But it's just a different a different way to experience dance and the arts, a different type of audience viewing. Let, let me answer your question just to wrap oh, up that's right. in terms we of what of, we expect from the sorry, audience. Sorry, I kind of sidelined you on that. Keep what going, I expect yeah. from the audience is to come with an open mind. Mm -hmm. um, I am so appreciative of them being there to share the work. Yeah. Um, it's so important. It's such an important part of the arts that people participate and it's about community it's about dialogue and that that question of a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it doesn't make a sound if a performance happens you need someone there and i appreciate that audience being there i appreciate them bringing their willingness to take a chance and come with us through this experience and now, this space do you expect people to be just as as quiet and attentive or is it because there's going to be other stuff going on around are you expecting the audience to be a bit more distracted um, I'm prepared for number two. Okay. Um, because it's not Hoping a for number one. Exactly. Because it's not as structured an experience where people know what to expect and what's expected of them. I, I'm For me, I'm ready to give a little latitude, just like I hope they would be with the performance also. I like it. I like it. Well, with all of that, what do you think? Should we get on to some questions? Let's. <laughs> There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. 
On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And today's first question starts out with uh, with Wi-Fi and actually how to handle people asking for your Wi-Fi password. This is brilliant. At your dinner party. Dear Lizzie and Dan, first of all, thank you so much for your podcast. I really enjoy it. It's so nice to hear people close to my age talking about consideration and respect. I'm a bit of an etiquette nerd, and I generally solve my own etiquette dilemmas by being polite, honest, and considerate. I have a problem I haven't been able to figure out, though. What's the etiquette around home network Wi-Fi passwords? I'm also a nerd nerd. My husband and I both work in the high-tech field, and our guests are often also high-tech people whose conversations sometimes focus on the tech they're wearing or using, often prompting requests for the password. Inevitably, someone shouts a request for the password during pre-dinner cocktails when a discussion has stalled around an easily Googleable question. Do I demur citing a desire to unplug for the evening? Do I hand it over? If so, how? Should I offer the password to my guests when they arrive? Do I cross-stitch it on a pillow or something? <laughs> I love that image. Shouting out the password in a general announcement seems awkward to me. Pulling the person aside for an individual password revelation seems a little ungenerous. I feel like the situation is different for a dinner party versus, say, a weekend. People can generally survive without connecting to Wi-Fi over the course of an evening because they probably have web access through a cell phone, right? When I have extended guests, I like to leave a paper with important information on it in their bedroom, things like our cell phone numbers, street address, the Wi-Fi password, and some websites of local attractions they might want to visit or learn more about, etc. Sounds like she's a great host. It seems strange to refuse a request for the password, but it also just seems like an awkward thing to ask your host for. And what if I'm the guest? If I'm staying for the weekend and they haven't offered the password, is it weird to ask for it? Thanks, Kim. Well, thanks, Kim. This is just a no, fantastic a question. question. And I would agree with my cousin Lizzie's editorial there that um, I think you're handling this really well. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about it as a host. This is um, rapidly becoming a, a part of host guest etiquette. Yeah. Um, as host, I oftentimes have the advice, have your Wi-Fi password at hand. If it's that long, complicated Wi-Fi password, have it written down in the drawer in the kitchen so no one's needing to crawl under a desk to flip over a router box to, to get the password. call out upper lowercase sensitive 15-letter passwords. But would you do that? I understand for the weekend guests, would you do yeah. that for a dinner party? For a dinner party, I would try to set a parameter early. I think as the hostess, you're absolutely within your rights to set that parameter any way that you like. If if you want it to be a <laughs> devices-free evening. Welcome to my house. Put your cell phone in the basket. <laughs> Sorry. I know. might I be know, a little tricky, but you, it would make it easier, I think, than, than dealing with the question when it comes up right. in this particular moment. I feel like when I have a friend come over to the house for an afternoon or kind of a – even though it, it might even be the same – time period as a dinner party, but the focus might be just us hanging out. Yep. I'm much more used to them ask, hey, can I grab your Wi-Fi password? Oh, sure. It's da-da-da. Yeah. And yet at a dinner party, I do think there's something about it that's taking the focus away from spending time with these people you're here to converse with. I like where you've gone with this. And on top of it, I'm then sitting there going... And how hard is it really to just use your 4G for that one Googleable question? Well, and that's the good answer to the question of, yeah. well, what about emergencies? What about did I, what about my kids are at the babysitter? 
Well, is it really a cell phone dead zone? <laughs> I mean, is, is it right. really the kind of thing where you need the Wi-Fi password? I bet you could still get that emergency text from the sitter. I don't get the sense that it's emergency texts or incoming calls that this person wants. Yeah, that her guest wants. But it does seem to come up when people all of a sudden want to use a specific app or use a specific search and they whip out their phone to do it. Check tomorrow's weather. I know. And I'm wondering if there's a way that Kim could say in the beginning and set the precedent of – you know, I know we're all in the high yeah. tech field and I just would love for this. E- I think you do it when you do the inviting and people RSVP and you just say, so we planned this great dinner party and Jim and I would just love. Oh, now I've named them Kim and Jim. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> sorry, Kim. <laughs> you know, Jim and I or Kate and I, whoever it is, would love it if if we could have a cell phone free meal this evening. We're all so surrounded by tech. It would be great to ditch the actual tech, even if we still talk about it. I love how you're using the meal to introduce that concept because yeah. we know how important no cell phones at the table is to people. Let's make that whole dinner party an event. Let's make that dinner party a special event and give it that special feel. We'll keep our attention here tonight. Kim, I hope that helps you um, at your next dinner party. And if in the moment you you aren't sure what to do personally, I say in that moment, go ahead, give out the password. You can just say it out loud. I wouldn't worry about, like you said, trying to have that side conversation, slipping them a piece of paper or anything like that. I think you could even say, hey, pass me your phone. I'll enter it in because mm-hmm. you might know it faster and off the top of your head than they'll be able to have the conversation about it. But we hope that helps and best of luck at your next dinner party. Our next question comes from someone who wonders, which is ruder? Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you for your great podcast, which I listen to and thoroughly enjoy every week. My question is about having last minute guests in our home. My husband and I are 28 and 29 years old, and we have recently had several instances where our friends invite themselves over to our home at the last minute. We are centrally located to many restaurants downtown, and my husband feels that it's normal in our age group that our friends suggest that they come over for a glass of wine to continue the evening after dinner if we are in the area. I was raised to believe that it's rude to invite yourself to someone's home, particularly with no notice. I would prefer to have some advance notice if we're going to have guests so I can have our home clean and orderly in a way that I feel is presentable, have some snacks put out, etc., My husband feels that it's more awkward to deny people access to our home after they've suggested it than to have them over to a less than immaculate home. Any input on this would be much appreciated. It's a total toss-up. Could come down on either side of this one. could come down on either side of it. And I appreciate that both you and your husband are seeing the positive and the negative sides to each of this one and being aware of where the rudeness may be. Um, I think that it's fine for you to decline. You yes. Just because someone says, hey, let's go to your house, doesn't mean you have to say that that's a great idea. And I would want to give your husband the confidence to and the language to be able to decline that request. It's a very simple and it, you can fill in the blank at the end of this. It doesn't have to be what I suggest so that it's not a white lie if You know, you don't want to be doing white lies. Um, But I would do a simple, I wish we could, but tonight we've got to turn in early. I wish we could, but guys, tonight I'm just not up for it. Um, It doesn't have to be about the house not being prepared. You can be not mentally prepared or not scheduled or... Exactly. And it's okay to express that and say, I'd love to next time. Tonight's just not the best night for it. That is a great line because it doesn't create any white lie anywhere. It's just tonight's 
it's not the best night for it. You don't have to state the reason why. Um, but I think that that would give your husband, I'm hoping he'll take confidence with that in being able to decline that request because it really is actually okay. These people shouldn't be inviting themselves to your house in the first place. Two rudes don't make a polite, so I don't advise being rude back, but that is a polite response when someone else has been um, – Inviting themselves, rude. Your yeah. home is a very personal space. It's a very and personal you, space. You absolutely are within your rights to decide how you regulate access to that place. In fact, it's an important life skill. It is. I also think that um, for the nights when it's not such a big deal, maybe you're not tired. Maybe you would like to continue the conversation, but you yourself, dear listener, have said to us, you know, oh, I feel, I feel like I don't want my home to be presented when it's it's not perfectly clean, and I don't have you know, the right um, offerings for my guests in terms of food and drink, you can certainly say, I would love you guys to come over, but no judgment. The house isn't at its best. And I've got, you know, we're going to we may all need to pick up some stuff at the store or we may need to stop and pick up some stuff at the store before we yeah. go up. If I was a guest hearing that, I would say, oh, well, why did you know, you guys go home, we'll give you 10, 15 minutes and we'll go to the store and grab some snacks or something like that. And hopefully your yeah. friends are like that. If they're not, don't worry about it. But you can just simply say, you know, hey, we just need like 15 minutes before you show up so that I can tidy a few things up. I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask for that. But I don't think you should feel pressure to host when you're not feeling comfortable to host ever. And I, I love those two options. Yeah. I would throw a third one out, which is maybe there's some middle ground where you and your your husband can invite people over after meals, but do it with that advance notice that you're looking for. Yeah. So that you've both you both win in the end. You get to prepare and and be the host that you want to be, yeah. and you still get to play that role and have your friends over and enjoy the fact that you've got a great location. Yeah. For if your, you're your place. and at the start of the night before you go out, if you're feeling like this might be one of those nights. Do what you can to prep for that ahead of time, you know. Do a little picking up before you go out just in case they come over. That's not a bad idea either. Letting people know that no need to take one more stop. We can head back to our exactly. place. <laughs> You've got four options right there for you, and I think you're both in the right, and I think you both actually have a way of, of seeing the other person's point of view. So we hope that you have a lot of wonderful get-togethers in the future. respectful, wonderful get-togethers. <laughs> exactly. There you go. This... Next question. I so sympathize with, think is difficult, and I'm really actually quite excited that Kurt's written in about it because it is the pinnacle of awkward. And I think it's incredibly difficult um, to get this one right and feel good about it. And so I'm excited to answer this and find a solution for our listener. And I call this question trying not to recognize you <laughs> at the risk of seeming sexist. And I, I want to say that I don't think this is sexist in any way. Yeah. I think this could women could easily find themselves in the same situation. Here's the sort of thing that I'm dealing with. I am a male university faculty member, and I occasionally find myself at the local drugstore checkout directly behind a woman, often an undergrad, waiting to purchase a rather personal item. For the sake of her privacy, I usually develop a brief but intense interest in the current cover of Cosmo magazine or my phone or whatever. But sometimes it's clear that I have seen what she's buying and she's obviously uncomfortable. It seems like these situations fall into three categories based on the type of acquaintance with the other person. 
either one, we are complete strangers. That's usually the easiest to deal with in my mind. Number two, she's in my large lecture course. So she has recognized me, but may doubt whether I recognize her or not. Professor-student relationships are like coworkers, but with some asymmetry. We recognize each other fully. She's in a small class or is a fellow faculty member, etc. Any thoughts on how to handle these situations? All the best wishes, Kent. P.S. Recently discovered your podcast via TBTL, and I find it fascinating. TBTL is one of our sister podcasts on the Infinite Guest Network, so we love crossover. We love people coming from one of our sister shows. Thanks for sharing, Kat, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette. (laughs) So really tough situation. The stranger one, I think don't worry about it. She's buying personal items. You've seen what they are. Don't worry about it. Just let her go ahead. Everyone's had to walk into a drugstore and pick up something they'd rather not be picking up in public. That's the we all, of a drugstore. It's you're there for a reason. But what do you do when you actually recognize the person and they're buying something that's that personal? It's it's such a good etiquette question because it drives at one of the columns that's the central support for good etiquette often, which is a sense of discretion. Yes. An, an ability to not say something <laughs> or not notice something. Um, oftentimes, the most appropriate thing to do or say is nothing. And this might be one of those cases where I vote for that. <laughs> you'll look them in the eye and smile and say hi if you know them because you acknowledge other people that you know. You do a, a, a usual, polite, courteous greeting. If Oh, I think if they were, depending on what they were purchasing, I would leave it at hi and then, you know, exactly. do exactly what you do and go back to reading that thing on your phone. Just ignore the products. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, it would be more awkward to avoid the person completely, acknowledge them that and move on with, with it. But no need to get into a deep dive conversation about why you're both there and feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. I also think that if it is the situation where um, this young woman or young man, this could happen with a young man as well, depending on what he's purchasing. I think that it could definitely be the case where she recognizes you, you don't recognize her. But you see the items that are being purchased. If that happens and she gives you like follow her lead, if she gives you a nod, then give her a nod. If she says, oh, hi, Professor So-and-so, you could say, oh, hi, and then just move on with, you know, getting into line or or doing whatever it is that's your kind of moment of distraction thing, you know, going back to the cell phone or the magazine, that sort of thing. I, I would caution, be careful about projecting your own discomfort onto the situation. Such a great point. That that oftentimes this is a moment to, to take a deep breath and remind yourself that everything's okay. Yes. <laughs> that, that you're 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 both out doing things that normal people do. Yes. And, and that's entirely okay and appropriate. So no need to be uncomfortable and to bring that discomfort to this poor other person. Absolutely. Kent, we really hope that that helps you find a solution the next time you're at the drugstore and you run into um, someone you may or may not recognize. Okay. I, I, I so thought this, <laughs> que- this question was so funny. It is titled, Dan Gets Called Out. And I kind of really love the fact that one of our listeners decided to actually really, really ask Dan a personal question. Dear Dan and Lizzie, 
I, I just love this so much. <laughs> I recently discovered Awesome Etiquette and love listening to the podcast, so much so that I've gone back to episode one and started listening to all the ones I've missed. I was quite surprised to hear the latest episode featuring Dan while on his honeymoon. Now, I don't want to judge, but I would have thought showing consideration to the bride would entail refraining from work during this time. Can you talk through how you made the decision to carry on with the podcast? Also, congratulations, Amy. I love you, Amy. Amy sheepishly <laughs> blushing here with my no, eyes. No, we're proud that you worked. We're proud. We are. and But I'm also proud of my cousin for reading that question with the appropriate um, uh, scolding tone. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think she's actually – She just so you know, Amy had smiley faces all throughout this. So I couldn't be more keenly aware of how appropriate your question is yes. and what a subtle question this was. And I'd, I'd start off by saying that definitely it was something that no one asked me to do. It was something that I offered right. to do when it became apparent that just the way our scheduling was working out for the podcast, that I was going to be out of the office so much Two weeks that straight. there was really yeah. no um, opportunity for us to get a, a show recorded. So the first thing was that it was just straight practical and um, Pooja is just wonderful. And when we were making the plan, I, I thought that she would understand. I definitely was careful to bring it up with her before the moment arrived right. so that everybody would be prepared. And I also felt like it was for both of us a really reasonable ask yeah. that, that this podcast the actual Take, recording for it is a couple hours. Hour. Well, it takes about an hour. About actually. an hour, maybe a little prep, but it's yeah. also it's it's work that Lizzie and I both genuinely enjoy. So it didn't feel like it was going to take me out of that honeymoon experience. And in fact. It was one of the most fun episodes I think we've ever done. Right. I had a good time doing it. It was a chance it to was, process wedding with right. my cousin. It was right after the wedding. And one of the things that Dan and I care so much about and that really resonates truly deep in our hearts is that every week we receive emails from you all. And nine times out of ten, you start off by saying, I can't wait for next week's show. I, I wish this was daily. I wish I had more of you to listen to. I'm caught up now and I can't binge listen anymore. So it really resonates with us that you love the fresh material. We don't want to give you repeats. And in an effort to do that, Dan and I both said we want the topic of the wedding to be fresh and we had just been to it. So that was important. It was one hour out of his time with Pooja, which just so you know, this was like pre-honeymoon. There's a big honeymoon coming with a big trip to India. So it wasn't his only time to spend a week with Pooja, you know, doing this big special trip. And so when we looked at everything together and we looked at our schedules, Dan just very graciously came down on the side of it's going to be better and it's such an easy thing for me to do. And I am very appreciative for having someone who will work like that. It sets a good example for me when I'm on vacation and we need to get something done. This is just the nature of our work. It's 24-7. We love it. And when it's a part of it that we really love, we are so willing to be there. And I'll just jump back in and say that that um, Lizzie's coming up with the, what I thought was sort of the most fundamental answer to your question is we, we do work for a family business and there, there are all kinds of trade-offs and figuring out how to manage work and family life is a big part of the, the skill of working for yeah. a family business. And all this week we were talking about the start of the show. I'm going to be leaving half days. I have dress rehearsals and performances right. and frankly, I'm, I'm performing six, sometimes eight hours a day. That's tiring. Right. My focus at the office is about getting through my daily tasks. I, 
I get a lot of latitude around something like this. So right. the opportunity to, to put a chip back in the bank yeah. on the honeymoon. Totally. Um, it, it, there are really some fair trade-offs that happen around the flexibility that we, we enjoy at the Emily Post Institute. Yeah. I think um, we look at our work and we say, no, that I'd really be willing to do. That's not going to make me feel like I was working on my honeymoon. It's not going to make me feel like I didn't get a break. And I'll just also mention, Amy, because it, it is a personal question that because the focus of that episode really was the wedding, I was able to invite a lot of my family and my new family to to listen to that episode. And I, I know many of them did. I heard from a lot of them. And it was really a treat to get a chance to share the podcast with, with some of my with family them. and some of my new family. And I know many of them are listeners now. So once again, just a big shout out to the Gupta Goyle clans and <laughs> and all the sendings and posts out there that I, that I know are also listening to the show. So many, many thanks to all of you for your support also. Our next question says, cash, please. My daughter is getting married in October. Then three months later, she and her new husband are moving to Japan. We would like to include a note in her wedding invitation asking guests to give money instead of physical gifts as they are not needed. What is the best way to word this note? Thank you, Becky. Becky, I'm so glad that you asked this question because you actually do not put that note in with the invitation. The invitation should be the only thing that goes out to folks on it and it should come out on its own. You yep. never put anything about gifts anywhere close to that invitation because what you really want is for the entire focus to be on um, inviting this guest to celebrate this major moment in your life. So what I would do instead is um, I would put it up on their wedding website. Um, you can do an explanation just like I guess the best way to say it is really that cash is really going to be the easiest gift or gift cards or it's almost like a Visa gift card, I yeah. guess. It's just like $50 on a Visa or card. $500 on <laughs> Visa, whatever your price range is. Um, so you can do ones like that that they will really be able to use over in Anywhere, Japan. Even Japan. What I really encourage the couple to do is to make sure that they always write a thank you note for that cash received and to write what they intend to use it for. Yeah. You also might want to look into what department stores are going to be over in Japan waiting for them because you could easily set up a registry for some of those stores and have the items picked up at the store or delivered once they're they're settled in Japan. I would suggest making sure that there is some form of a registry or a physical tangible gift suggestion somewhere um, because some folks really still aren't comfortable giving cash, even though that is definitely what would work best for this couple. And I'm in complete agreement. And it's commonly done. And there's nothing wrong with it for those people Very that are common. comfortable and even prefer it. Some people just care about giving that actual gift. They're a little traditionalist in that way. And that's perfectly OK. So I do suggest have a few gifts that might be easy to travel, might be things that could then be sent easily, you know, to Japan, that sort of thing. The only thing I could add yeah. to that is... Oftentimes there are uh, registry things like a wanderable or honey fund that uh, right. that, that set up systems where uh, guests can give gifts that are cash gifts, but they're directed for certain things. Right. 
And one of the advantages of those systems is they give people the basic idea that cash gifts are appreciated. Right. They, they both will serve to link a cash gift to a certain item. item, but it can also just serve as a general reminder to folks that you're open to that, you're accepting of it. In fact, you even have gone so far as to set up a system that's going to make it easy for them to do that. For instance, on Dan's Honey Fund, right? You had two separate things. One was for the train and one was for the plane. I used wanderable, but yes. Wanderable, <laughs> sorry. But it helped it helped us to know what we were contributing to. And I thought that that was really nice to kind of be able to pick. And it was kind of cool to when I looked on there and saw, oh, their train ride is covered. They're now working on getting that plane ticket, you know. Personal, it gives yeah. an opportunity to personalize the gift a little bit. Yeah. Oftentimes someone can attach a, a note, a specific it note. It was really cool. So definitely you use those methods. And again, just make sure those thank you notes go out. Have a wonderful wedding. Congratulations to your daughter. Best wishes and congratulations. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your questions on the show, or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. postscript segment today we've decided to go back to the topic of dan's wedding because we know we after one week away ourselves. you guys missed it so much <laughs> we know that it's happened we know you've all heard a lot about it but typically in the weeks following a wedding the bride and groom or families of the bride and groom do a lot of reflecting on how the event went after what's usually about a year of planning strategizing and emotional buildup. So I would love for Dan to share his reflections, which I believe yesterday when we were talking about it started with, wait, there was no coffee. The coffee maker broke. Started with a big surprise. And Lizzie and I have talked about one of the, the spirit behind this podcast being we want to bring the discussions that happen in and around the office at the Emily Post Institute. To the podcast. To, to the podcast and to the airwaves. And this was a, a very real discussion that happened yesterday when I discovered that there hadn't been any coffee at the wedding or that there had been coffee for a brief period of time at the perk. The percolator broken. broke. Unfortunately, there was no. I had gone yeah. to get a coffee at ten o'clock at night. There, and there wasn't was still any. Tea. You and could I get caffeine. Had but... assumed that it had just run out or something. Yeah. Didn't, didn't know. And I am a big coffee fan. There's a large coffee sitting in front of me now, <laughs> and it would shock and surprise some people that there wasn't coffee <laughs> readily available. It wasn't flowing out of fountains at my wedding because th- th- that would be something it people would think Dan's is important. It runs through veins to me. like blood. <laughs> I think Pooch turned to me at one point when I told her I hadn't had a coffee at the way she couldn't believe it. Yeah, the, the fact that shocked. I had been riding on enough emotion that particular day that I wasn't drinking coffee was um, an indicator of how swept away I was by the whole experience. Completely. But it got me thinking about, you know, I talk about what, how great it was, how special, how magical, and for me, what a, what a um, remarkable experience the wedding was. Not everything went perfectly. In fact, no. there's a lot that probably we would have done differently. And as I start to think back and go through that reflection process, it went well enough that I've given myself the allowance to think about and 
some of those the other success, things. Oh, yeah, I see. Some of them I had to get over right in the day, right in the moment. Like what? Um, There was rain going on, rain and sunshine. I didn't have an umbrella or sunglasses. <laughs> I had a ridiculous outfit. I spent a lot of time thinking about and working on, and an umbrella would have really protected it, and some sunglasses would have been really nice. And if I'd had totally. a pair that went well with what I was wearing, would have been a nice addition, something to have going on. Grooms take note. Uh, there, there were other things on the attire checklist. I was wearing a pair of shoes, or were very formal shoes. It would have been nice to have had a pair of just basic black leather shoes that I could have swapped out of what I was wearing okay. in case the ground was really wet. Da, 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 da. Oh, from the rain, sure. And okay. there was even just some little details, like a, a, a favorite cologne that I don't usually wear but would have wore on the day of my wedding, but because it's not part of my usual wear, it wasn't in the dock kit, it. and I didn't have it that particular day. So some things that I just noticed in the moment that could have been little hooks in yeah. my consciousness or my psyche, and I, I just found myself saying, you know, that's it. That's done. And once it's that's it, that's done, let it go yeah. <laughs> and on with the party. Yeah. Uh, the other big one of those for us was the back page of the program was a blank. And I would have loved, 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 loved to get a PDF map of the venue on the back page of the program that was in everyone's hands. There were things around the venue site. There was a wedding labyrinth out in the woods where you could walk amazed and reflect on life and the process of marriage. Oh my gosh, I totally missed that. There were some some fountains that were out on trails out in the woods with little seating areas. I know, and people, the the, the grounds were lovely. People were congregated around the reception areas at the pond, at the ceremony site. let's face it, the food pretty much made everyone just flock right to the tables because it was so good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, but also... I, had I but known, I totally would have taken a walk. I exactly. Had no idea. Missed yeah. opportunity. We knew it at the time. Oh, um, bummer. I discovered it talking with your sister, Anna, who got a program for Pooja's sister's wedding. I did too. In the beginning, <laughs> I was like, these are not the right people. What is going on? That No, the bridesmaids. I just met one of them last night. That's not her name. Pooja's older sister married a few years ago. There had been some wedding supplies, fans, I think in particular, oh, that they were handing out for the heat. And that was a great idea. But when the box opened, there were programs there. The programs ended up getting handed out also. I found out days later that half of the people had a program for a different wedding. The one that I missed the most, and I was talking with Pooja about it last night, and she started to be like, oh, no. And I was like, no, no, it was because it went so well we can even talk about this. Okay. Lawn games. Oh, yeah. A croquet set. Something like would have been awesome. A, a bocce game. Uh, I was listening kites. A couple of kites for kids for that were kids, down. But yeah. it's it's a, a people. It, Maybe not with the lightning, but yeah. No, you're no, right. I'm just not kidding. The, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're getting a, a look at Lizzie's wicked side. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, usually safe and a big hit. <laughs> So not everything went according to plan, or there were some things that, with the benefit of twenty twenty hindsight, I definitely would have done a little would have done just a little bit differently. You're and right. I will never get the chance. <laughs> that was it, the one and only. And um, it was so much fun, but also just figured it would be good to be realistic and share that not everything, even things that are fantastic, go one hundred percent according to plans. And so brides and grooms, and mother of the bride and mother of the groom a- across <laughs> our listening globe, please. Take heart. Not everything will work out perfectly, but most things will go so well, it's not going to matter. And in the end, that'll be perfect. I have heard all of our love land and all of its charms. But I know I'll never get to love land unless I'm wrapped up in your arms. Got to take it with you. Please take me with you
As you know, we love to end every show on an etiquette salute. So we have, thank goodness, a salute from one of our listeners today. Please don't forget, we need more salutes. We were getting them weekly for a while and then slowed down. We hope you're still running into lots of good etiquette out there in the world and that you'll be willing to share it with us. Our salute begins. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I love the podcast. I want to nominate my upstairs neighbor for an etiquette salute. My husband and I recently moved into a duplex in the San Francisco Bay Area. Our apartment, the downstairs unit, had sat vacant for a long time while the landlord did some renovations. During the several months the unit was empty, our upstairs neighbor's friends had become accustomed to being able to park in our section of the driveway when they visited. This being an urban area, parking is at a premium and hard to find. Our neighbor has tried to communicate to friends that the downstairs apartment is occupied now and they need to find parking on the street. But sometimes old habits die hard. A few times we have tried to leave for church or to run to the store and found our car blocked in. Each time a text to our neighbor has resulted in the car being moved right away and a heartfelt apology from both our neighbor and her guest. In a perfect world, there would be plenty of parking for everyone, but we don't live in a perfect world. We live in the crowded Bay Area. Urban life is all about navigating boundaries and shared spaces. I appreciate my neighbor's gesture of apologizing and correcting the problem immediately when her guests inadvertently misjudge those boundaries. Nobody is perfect, and a quick, I'm sorry, let me fix that, goes a long way. To my upstairs neighbor, an urban etiquette salute. Cheers, Elliot. Bravo. Wow. Isn't that well written? I, I just love, love that one. <laughs> and, I, and, and both sides of the equation. I love the perspective of our listener. Elliot, you are such a model human. I hope mm-hmm. I live next to you in a city someday, just like your neighbor. Well, now, uh, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute, and we now have an awesome etiquette Facebook page that we would love for you you to comment on. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. Our show is produced by the fantastic Hans Buten. <laughs> <laughs>